Hello, and welcome to the WorkWell podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Crook, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is John Reardon. John is chairman of Grow Remote, a not-for-profit organization on a mission to enable us to work, live, and participate locally. He recently retired as director of support for Shopify, having also served as chairman of Shopify International. As we'll hear during the conversation, the majority of teams John has managed worked from home, a business model he has been an evangelist for over the last 20 years in the US, UK, and Ireland. In addition to chairing Grow Remote, John also serves on the board of the Sanctuary Runners, and that's a group I just had to ask him about, uh, the IRFU Commercial and Marketing Committee, and he's also on the board of three startups. So much value to be found in this episode. So enjoy my conversation with John Reardon. John, hello and welcome to the Work Well podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. Real pleasure to get to speak to you, John. So bring us up to speed. How are you? How's life? How's work at the moment? Well, work is great because I'm retired. <laughs> so I uh, retired in November of last year. Congratulations. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's been it's been really, really good. It's given me the opportunity to focus on on a couple of things that I'm uh, I suppose passionate about. Remote work is one, diversity and inclusion is another. I really like the the whole kind of genre of entrepreneurship. So I got involved in a few startups. I would have a fairly significant passion for sport as well. So you mix all of those four together and I'm quite surprised at how busy retirement has been. <laughs> Some pretty nice passions there. I think they could lead yeah. you to, to some interesting projects, which I'm sure we will come to in, in a few moments. Bring us up to speed on the on the career then to date. There's some really interesting names on the CV. I think I saw there's Virgin Atlantic, there's Apple, there's Shopify. Yeah, so I, I would have had a, I suppose, a fairly standard career for somebody of my age group. I emigrated the last time we had a really significant, crappy recession. None of the kind of the relatively quick hits that we had in, you know, my a quick but deep hits in 2008 and and the dot com boom or bang but i'm talking about the the 1980s when we had like 17 18 19% unemployment i emigrated moved to the states and ended up working in the airline business my background was in in marketing had a fantastically enjoyable period of time in the US working in the aviation business was with US Airways and then went on to Virgin Atlantic. And when I was at Virgin Atlantic, one of the challenges that we had was post 9-11 was how do we really have a proper customer support organization and retain those staff? 
contact center work or customer support work is is a hard one to hire for and it's a really hard one to keep people in that arena because it's seen as a stepping stone job it's a starting point for a lot of folks and uh, I was one day I was uh, I was at a, an event a Boston Red Sox game and got into a conversation with somebody else, a peer of mine in another company and they were talking about remote work and it was all couched in this big laugh like how can you trust people who work remotely <laughs> I mean you know bunny slippers and you know watching Oprah in the afternoon and you know drinking all day all these kind of lovely tropes were, were, were put out there about it but I had a very interesting drive home that night after the game and I had a kind of road to Damascus moment for me which was the following day actually the following two days I was taking two days to work from home completely with my laptop to do all of my annual reviews and to prepare annual budgets. And what I realized at that moment was I was using remote work as my dedicated quiet time, focus time. And it kind of just dawned on me that there really is something magic to having that some aspect of work in an office, but also the ability to go deep and have some real deep quality time. From that moment on, I was switched on to the concept of remote work, and I contacted an organization that was an outsourcing company for remote work. And between the jigs and the reels, over the course of the next two years, we outsourced the whole of the Virgin Atlantic customer support organization to a remote-based company. And that was in 2003. So just to give, give you a bit of context, that's 19 years ago. That was pre-broadband. So we were running a fully remote organization pre-broadband. What kind of technology was supporting this? That was... (laughs) (laughs) There were no national broadband plans in the US at that time. There was no broadband. So for anybody who wanted to work from home, they had to have three key things in place. And they were three telephone lines. One for data, one for voice, and one for your personal life. And that was the requirement. It was as simple as that. Now, when I say it was as simple as that, you can imagine the traffic was fairly minor in those days in terms of the, the data flow traffic wasn't as wild and crazy as it is now. And there was there was no video being uh, transmitted or anything like that. So it was just simple. It was bits and bytes. Yeah. But we were able to do it and we did it quite successfully. Rolling the clock on then, I, a couple of years later, I got a phone call from Apple. And Apple was looking to do something in the customer service space that involved remote work, and they needed the ability to scale in a large manner. This was around 2005, 2006. I wasn't smart enough to realize what they were doing because this was about 18 months before the iPhone, and clearly they were <laughs> they were gearing up for that. So um, that's when I got involved, and I spent about a year helping Apple get the first remote working team involved in the Apple ecosystem. So the very first remote work call into the Apple ecosystem was about 13 months before the iPhone. It was May of 2006. So I did that for a couple of years. I went to work for the remote working company then for a while. And then in around 2010, I got a call from Apple regarding a role back in Ireland. So I moved back to Ireland about 18 years after I left. And It was quite fascinating because I left just as the Celtic Tiger was beginning to kick off Mm -hmm. in around late 1992. And I came back in 2010, just when literally the (laughs) the Troika were were positioned outside government buildings. So it was kind of a wild time to come back. 
but uh, it's been fascinating. Clearly, you've been building up a reputation as the guy who can get remote teams up and running, manage them and, and make that successful. And then from, from Apple, I think it leads the transition to, to Shopify. That, that comes a bit later. Funnily enough, at Apple in Ireland, I was not involved in remote work in any way. So that was a probably a disappointment, to be honest with you. There was some remote work, but it was very much an office-based. It was really an office-based culture. And in 2017, I got a phone call from a company that I didn't really know much about. And the very first line, I'll never forget it, was, you're probably not interested in this because it's fully remote. It's not (laughs) office-based. And that was, as you can well imagine, I literally nearly bit the hand off the, uh, the recruiter. And a couple of months later, I was ensconced in Shopify. Now, the interesting thing was that Shopify was about 110 people in Ireland, maybe 120 people in Ireland in early 2017. And all of them were remote. So the company had been set up in Ireland in 2015, 100% remote. And um, so I was going into a uh, a ready-made remote organization. But when I left four and a half years later, that uh, that 120 had grown to um, close to 800 people. So yeah, there was a significant growth growth in remote work in that time period. Very good. Yeah. And I remember I've been at a few events and I've set up a few Shopify stores in my time. So I was fairly familiar with, with the Shopify model. I think they're one of the first, if not the first in Ireland to be I mean, to be fully remote, quite a large enough team. I think it's the Shopify gurus, as they're known, maybe working from home, maybe once a quarter, once every six months, there might be an in-person yep. couple of days, maybe a venue is, is kind of rented out and everyone comes together. But that, that was the model, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'll put a few tweaks on that. We had a few interesting quirks. So for example, we didn't have an office and we were one of the we were easily the biggest company in Ireland that had no office. I remember chatting with the IDA about four years ago and asking what was the next biggest fully remote company, as in have no office. And on their books, I think there was there was a company that had about 12 to 15 employees. And at that stage, Shopify was in around the 400 mark. So the delta between us and the second most, let's call it fully intentional remote company, and I'm talking 2017, 18, 19, yeah. the, the, the gap was enormous. But then, of course, how did we actually engage with the employees, I suppose, is the next question. You did make the comment there about having get-togethers. One of the most important things when you have a distributed workforce is not buying into the fact that it's a, quote-unquote, remote workforce. Because a lot of people think remote as in distant, far away from the center, not involved, not engaged. So I think people should talk about or think about a distributed workforce. In other words, these are people who are working, but they're distributed away from the center. So what we did was we organized, they were referred to as pop-up offices. So we would have uh, in places where we had a concentration of people within a kind of relatively comfortable driving distance, we would kind of hang out our shingle for the day in a a co-working space or in a a, uh, hotel space, and we would rent a space. And we would have people at their own volition come in and work for the day. Now, what the folks were doing was taking their laptop and going and doing exactly what they would have done at home, but in a, let's say, in a conference room. And really, when you have to peel it back, what were they doing? They were scratching what I call the community itch, (laughs) which is, I just want to know that I'm not the only one out there. So you'd go in, and it was actually quite funny for me. The very first one I went to was uh, I went to an event in Sligo, oh God, in 2017. 
and I walked into the room and, you know, I started chatting to everybody. And after about five or 10 minutes, somebody leant over to me very quietly and said, um, would you mind being quiet? We're working. <laughs> and it, so it was, a, it was a really interesting thing because people were very, prof- it was a very professional environment. We're here to work. Um, can you just shut up a second? Just, <laughs> we'll talk to you later on when we go for coffee. Mm-hmm. And that was a real eye opener for me that this is how people operate. And you, essentially you take your laptop, put it into a conference room and off you go. Now, what that did was it gave people the opportunity to meet. There was no forcing of anybody to meet. Nobody was required to do it. And what we found over time was that about a third of people came to all of the pop-up office meetings. We found about a third of people dipped in and out, and a third of people just really weren't that interested at all. Now, the interesting thing is when we had to pull it down because of the pandemic, it was equally distributed how people were unhappy about that fact. So the folks who weren't ever going into those pop-up offices, wanted the facility to do it, even though they weren't actually availing availing of it. And that was a really interesting kind of behavioral science kind of point for us is that don't ever discount people who don't avail of the service. That doesn't mean that they never want it. Very interesting. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about the pandemic. I mean, we, we heard a lot of pe- a lot of companies were obviously huge disruption, the massive scramble to try and get set up working distributed or remotely, much less of an impact then for Shopify because you were already fully set up remotely. It was just that small impact on the, the, the get-togethers. Yeah, let me let me just split out Shopify for a second between Shopify support, which was the operation that we had in Ireland with fully a customer support organization with some ancillary services. And that was that was fairly easy to do because we were all 100% remote. The rest of Shopify, so Shopify support constituted about a third of the company. The other two thirds of the company were mainly in North America and almost exclusively in North America and were almost exclusive, or in fact, were exclusively office-based. So the pandemic hit, let's call it the rest of Shopify, just like it hit the rest of the world. But there was one slight exception. About four years prior to that, when Shopify was, was moving office, to speed up the transition from one office to another, the CEO moved everybody home for, I think it was at a six-week six week period, shut the offices down so they could do the transition quickly and everybody work from home. So this, there was this huge burst of time where people were forced to work from home. So it wasn't alien. A lot of people knew it could be done. It wasn't out of choice but people recognized that it could be done. So that was point one. Point two, a third of the company was already doing it and was doing it hugely successfully. So really, there was no excuse why it shouldn't work for Shopify. So that's kind of the, the, the landscape. However, we're human, and there were a lot of people who, who struggled at first, like in every other company, struggled with working remote. However, they were able to lean into an organization like the support organization that had been doing it for a long time. And then the company did a couple of very simple, very simple and clever things. Originally talked post-pandemic or just at the time of the pandemic about saying that the company was digital by default. What we were working on internally at the time was digital by design. So the plan was we were going to do this full-time, but what was publicly available within the company was we're digital by default right now. 
but all the plans were being put in place for it to be a long-term thing. And it has become a long-term thing. And it was done very intentionally, very cleverly. And I think it's been very successful. Very good. So you had that early pilot, if you like, or trial, that six-week pilot, a massive head start on, on a lot of other organizations, plus then the, the, the whole Irish team were, were already fully remote. So very well set up, I would say. Retirement, you take retirement from Shopify, and there's a really interesting organization growing called Grow Remote. You're probably already involved, I'm sure, with them previously. You're now you're, you're chairman of the board. Tell us about Grow Remote and, and the Grow Remote vision. Yeah, so Grow Remote was a very interesting organization. I got a phone call in 2018 to go to an event in Tralee called Grow Remote. I was obviously heavily involved in remote work. We would have been one of the companies pushing this, the, the remote narrative in Ireland. To be honest with you, we were probably one of the only ones. And it was it was a it was a very lonely time talking to remote work. Even to government agencies, they were like, yeah, that's curious and interesting. Next. <laughs> but Tracy Kyo and a group of other people in a WhatsApp group just they got this thing that they were going to push remote work. And they attacked it from a different angle from a lot of people. A lot of people were trying to set up companies to to focus on remote work. Grow Remote was community-based and it was about trying to improve communities, Mm -hmm. not trying to build a business. And I think that's really the essence of why it, it, it got such interesting traction. The day that I knew that this was the right thing was the very first event I went to. It was in Tralee in September, I think September the 28th in 2018. And I went down and I remember meeting Tracy for the first time. And I asked how many people had signed up. And uh, she told me the number of people who had signed up. I think it was like 75, 80 people were due to come, which was a a large number for for that. It was a one-day conference. By the middle of the morning, we already had double the number of people who had committed to coming, showing up. Every single time I I looked up, the folks in the hotel were bringing in more and more chairs. (laughs) The room was packed by the end of the morning. And that's when I realized, hang on a second, there's a little bit more to this. Mm -hmm. When you get double the number of people, uh, or exactly, (laughs) usually it's half. So from there on, I I got involved and I I understood the community mission. And that was, I suppose, the the catch for me when, when Tracy and the team um, help me understand that community is the connective tissue that brings it all together. If it's all employer-based, it becomes fairly one-dimensional. If it's all employee-based, it becomes more of a jobs board. But when it's community-based and where the community benefits, that's where everybody gets involved. So that that connective tissue that is community is the is the key to that. So you know, I, I helped the next conference, which was in, in Tubbercurry in, in Sligo in April 2019. And I did the keynote speech of that, and I got involved as an advisor. And then when we constituted uh, the organization and, and, and set up, um, I was asked to be chairman of the board. So I've been that for, for the last couple of years and thoroughly enjoying it. What's the plan then with Grow Remote? Is it to build more community hubs, if you like, co-working spaces to support those? Is it to impact on policy? What does Grow Remote do, I guess, on a daily basis? And how can how can people get involved? The easiest way to get involved is just join the local chapter, growremote.ie. Ideally, what we're trying to do is make it easy for employers to employ remote workers and encouraging employers 
to distribute their workforce. We're trying to make it easy for employees to engage with employers who are looking for people like themselves. And then from a community perspective, and this is where the essence of it is, we want people to be able to live in the community and also realize that they're not the only remote worker in the community. So you're in a small town, small village, and you're working remote. You may well, if you roll the clock back three, four, five years ago, you may well not have had any social interaction during the week because you would not necessarily have known that somebody down the road was also working remote. We now need to bubble that up to the surface. And that's exactly what we're doing with Grow Remote. So joining one of the local chapters is the single most important thing for people to do. Get involved. It could be, and there are groups, for example, down in West Cork that go for a walk once a week for half an hour on a Friday afternoon. There are groups who go for a cup of coffee. There are groups who organize, as you've gone to some of the events, organize evening events, networking events. It depends on what that local community wants mm-hmm. from the group. This is not prescriptive. We, we, we give people the ability to, to use remote work to increase community engagement, however that community engagement manifests itself. And I think that's, that's the essence of it. It's just that connective tissue. Yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. So for employers, there's supports there to help them get set up, to get more people set up and working remotely. There's one other thing you mentioned there a second ago, which is incredibly important. Because we're, we're this relatively agnostic group, we would be considered to be a, a trusted voice. So, for example, when an Oireachtas committee is looking for uh, people to discuss the right to uh, request remote work, they lean in on Grow Remote. When they're looking for a discussion piece on the right to disconnect, they look to people like Grow Remote to pitch a story and pitch an opinion. And that's a very important thing to have some, some like, we're not, shill, we're not a company, we're, we're not shilling for anything. We're actually looking to present a balanced view on what is best for the overall community. Yeah, very good. So three angles would be so the employer can benefit, the employee, a potential employee could benefit, the, the networking side of things, and but the, the local community could benefit as well. Like a, a local hub could benefit as well. The first event I went to actually grow remote was pre-pandemic in Gorey. And I remember the people talking there. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was something like 20,000 people leave Gorey, or certainly used to leave Gorey every day to commute to Dublin, to work in Dublin. So this, the idea of this hub was, can we, can we get a percentage of those people just to stay here and work? I mean, if you imagine you've got 10% of those people, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a really decent number already that are, they're not spending money on fuel, you know, petrol, all this kind of things. It's better for the environment. Plus, they're probably snacking and buying, local, buying locally then as well. This data goes back to 2019, but reviewing the last census data, which would have been from 2016, I think it was uh, between Meath, Kildare, and Wicklow. There were 110,000 people commuting into Dublin every day. So that's a, that's a fairly large number, okay? But think for a second what a good chunk of those were doing. They were taking out their mobile phone and taking out their laptop and plugging them in in a desk somewhere in Dublin. Now, not everybody's a tech worker. Not everybody, you know, there's plenty of other people doing tons of other work. But a good chunk of them were actually bringing their laptop home and their mobile phone home and then coming in and plugging them in. So, you know, 
the mobile phone is now basically your phone, forget the office phone, and the, your laptop is your essentially is your desktop. So people were fully mobile, but not actually realizing it. And also, to your point, they were commuting. So imagine if you had said four or five years ago that here we have this opportunity to significantly reduce our carbon footprint by asking people to stay at home. Oh, and by the way, when people stay at home, that means that there's less likelihood that the local post office is going to close because there's going to be more business. It's more likely that the intermediate football team is going to be able to field <laughs> a team in the championship. And there's a better chance that there'll be an, a, a an extra teacher added to the primary school. You tell people that. And then they, that's when they realize the ones and the twos in the small towns and small villages are making a big difference. The, the report in June regarding the, the, the interim report on the, on the recent census showed that we were up to 5.1 million people in Ireland. The interesting thing about that is every single one of the 26 counties is showing an average employment growth higher than the EU average. The one county that was, I think there was Donegal and a couple of Northwest counties had historically been below that EU average. They're now all above the EU average. So what's actually happening is gently and slowly, there are really good, strong roots being put back into our rural community. So any talk about rural Ireland being dead uh, in my book is, is the data does not show it. Now, it doesn't mean that it's growing enough. But, but there's a lot of potential there. A lot of potential. And, and Grow Remote was up and running and growing pre-pandemic. I mean, I'm guessing this has accelerated things. Now, the last couple of years, it's just accelerated people. People now, there's no barrier now. People know you, you can work remotely. There was a real barrier previously. Am I right? Yeah, there was. There was a real barrier before. And it, a lot of the barrier was, was I, I would call it a kind of a false barrier. And it was put up by companies who just didn't want to allow it, mm -hmm. right? But suddenly when it's for, I, I'm going to slightly controversial point, and I don't mean to denigrate anybody's skill set, but folks who operate in the health and safety arena were able to say up until the pandemic, were able to say, oh, no, I can't do that because of health and safety issues. And nobody really questioned. Suddenly the pandemic hits and the CEOs and managing directors are saying, no, everybody's got to work from home. You know, where were the health and safety people saying, no, you can't do that? Because apparently a year before you couldn't do it because of, you know, health and safety considerations. But now needs must, you must do it, right? Now, are there going to be some challenges? Of course, there's going to be some challenges in the medium to long term. And there are some latent issues that are below the surface that need to be dealt with. But in the main, it has worked and it has worked incredibly well. So, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, very, very true. And, and I'm guessing the, another thing that's moving in the right direction, in my opinion, is, I guess, government policy and legislation. And we had, it's a little over a year since the right to request remote work. The code of practice came in currently as well. We have the, the right to request remote work bill, which I'm sure you're following closely. As I saw and Grow Remote yep. presented to the Oireachtas on that. What are your own thoughts on, the, on this kind of legislation, all these policies uh, and, and, and where we're going? Legislation in in and to itself is not enough. You know, a lot of legislation, and I, this is not to denigrate any any government agencies or any governments around the world, but but um, a fair amount of 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 stuff that comes out from government is a press release that doesn't get followed up. Okay, here we have a a policy that came out 
that the right to disconnect, it was more than a press release and there was a right to disconnect. But there's some interesting stats. I was reading a report uh, back in June, HR Buddy, who's a, a, an HR consultancy based in Kilorgan and Kerry, they asked about the right to disconnect and respondents were asked if the workplace, if their workplace had a right to disconnect policy. And really interesting, roughly a third of people said they, that their company did. I think it was 32%. 37% said no. And 31% said they weren't sure. So clearly there was, there's confusion as to whether there actually is even a right to disconnect. So here you have all of the employees in the country not necessarily knowing that there is a right to disconnect. Then you have the, and I would call it the relatively uh, weak rollout of the right to request work. The original uh, briefing document for the right to request work gave way, way, way too much power to a company to be able to say for any reason that they could deny remote work. I mean, one of the classic ones was there was a piece in place that you had to be six months in the company working in an office to request remote. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff that we need to think, we, we need to think through a little bit better. So I understand the rationale and I understand the the direction that we're going. I think we just need to sharpen up how we're going to get there. Yeah, sure. And there was there was, there was lots lots of weaknesses in that right to request a remote work bill. I mean, if you're a coffee shop making lattes every day, you still need a remote work strategy or policy, even though there's no way those those guys on the front line could actually be working remotely. There, there, was, there, was, there was a lot of gaps, wasn't there? There was some very unclear points. But like there, there are three key asks here, really, Brian. Is first of all, is proper funding support for companies designed to allow them to hire within or without location within Ireland. The second one is, and I'm going to uh, cite Brexit here, a major awareness and communications campaign similar to Brexit ready. We've got to become remote ready, and I think the uh, the, the the third one is example. The government really needs to lead by example and prioritize the embedding of remote work across the public sector. If the public sector is lagging, okay, they will drag the private sector down. If the public sector is leading, we have an opportunity to really make some systemic changes. Well, I'm speaking with Senator Emer Curry uh, very, very soon for the podcast. So hopefully I'll have an, up, an update on all of these uh, policies and legislations, and I'll be sure to uh, to share them with you, John. Great. So we've got hybrid working, remote working, distributed working. We've never had a better time, I guess, for looking at disrupting uh, working models, if you like, in the four-day week is gathering momentum. What are your own thoughts? I mean, if I know it's impossible to say, but five years' time, 10 years' time, what does the world of work look like? It's going to be very, very different. And I think I'm not going to try to bullshit you and tell you that I know what's going to happen because there's just so much change afoot. But clearly there is challenge finding talent. There was a recent uh, Russell Reynolds survey that showed that the most urgent and significant problem for all companies is the availability of key talents and skills. So, you know, that's 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 pretty obvious. I noticed a, a comment recently from a research professor in the ESRI, a guy called Kieran McQuinn. And that really caught my attention. And he he was talking about the, the current unemployment rate being at 5%, but expecting that to drop to 4% in 2023. Now, what does that trigger? It triggers wage inflation, which triggers job hopping, which then triggers the next thing, which is a significant focus on the non-monetary 
job offerings, the single most powerful non-monetary job offering is the is is flexibility in the workplace. It's both it's flexibility and autonomy, and the companies that use those as really smart points of attraction are going to do incredibly well. They're going to do very well. Another thing I would say about remote work that you can't ignore is that, you know, I know we're two and a half years into this massive kind of pandemic influenced change in in, in this remote working model. But many companies, large and small, are still trying to bang a square peg into a round hole. Working remotely or working in a distributed way is not the same as the command and control office-based culture that we had before. Setting up a great work, a remote work structure is not a case of, hey, take your laptop home, put all the meetings online and everything will be fine. And the companies that, that, have, that are still in that mode aren't doing very well. The companies that are realizing that they need to do a lot better are really digging down and 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 focusing on it. And I think there's a couple of there's a great resource, and I'm just going to plug Grow Remote for a second. There's a great resource available, free resource. There's a Grow Remote playbook available on the Grow Remote website that goes through five or six key things. It, it you know it helps you to to build a proper and good and deep remote work policy. It talks about how to attract remote talent, how to recruit remotely, how to onboard remote employees, key issue, mm-hmm. it has yeah. to be done correctly, how then to communicate in a remote world, both synchronously and asynchronously, and then the overarching thing, which is how to really envelop all of that and create a great company culture. Brilliant. Yeah, Happy, if you send the link on, we'll be sure to include that in the, in the accompanying show notes. It sounds like it's an important that, well, I think anyway, and again, it was something that was around pre-pandemic, was you know small enough uh, I'd heard of it in the States, it was kind of results-only work environment. I think Best Buy were leading on, on that. But the idea that it's not about bums on a seat, it's results, target-driven. Are you, are you, whatever way you're working, are you getting your work done, I guess, without having kind of this over, overarching management just constantly looking at what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to cast my mind back 20 years ago when I was working in the sales environment, and I remember working with a, a sales director, and he his approach on it was as long as the folks who were working for him were delivering the numbers. And I remember him saying, "I don't care if you get your hair cut, or play golf, or go for a run in the middle of the day. Just yeah. make sure the numbers come in." Yeah. Now, I don't want to infantilize that and make that a, a key point, but I, I think the the essence of that argument was I am managing people on what they deliver, not managing them on just physically being here. And I think we, you know we've all learned a lot more about the term presenteeism, and it's not a good thing. I think well, a lot of organizations I'm speaking to are moving in that direction, but of course, there will always be the Elon Musks of the world who who just see things differently, and that's absolutely fine. But I actually really, I, I relish the fact that we have somebody like an Elon Musk helping the argument because in all cases, having a having somebody on the other side of the argument actually helps. If if you know, I, I think it makes it it makes people sharpen their perspective, it makes people sharpen or hone their point a little bit better. So while yeah, I kind of, you know, it was like a 
it was grating to hear it at first. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this is actually keeping the argument and the discussion going. And I think, yeah. you know, a very important thing is to actually have a proper uh, discussion. And to have that proper discussion, you do need a little bit of what I call the lunatic left and the lunatic right to get a proper balanced discussion in the middle. So yeah, bring it on. I'd love to see more of the Jamie Dimons and the Elon Musks out there saying, and Alan Sugars and all these people. Yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. You're right. It certainly does lead to it's all people talk about then is those comments and you hear from one side and the other. So it does, it does lead to that discussion. Slight change of pace then. I see you're also a board member of the Sanctuary Runners an organization I've been following for a while. There might be quite a few listeners who are not familiar with the Sanctuary Runners. Could you bring us up to speed on on the initiative? Yeah. Sanctuary Runners is an organization that uses sport for inclusion. So coming into Ireland every year, there are people who are seeking refuge and asylum, and also just people moving into Ireland who are seeking community. And the great thing about Sanctuary Runners is it's so like to to go and run with somebody is the easiest thing in the world. And we just make it available to go run together with folks. And we everybody wears the same shirt, which is probably the easiest uniform that you could probably come across. Very short runners and off you go. And there's something wonderful about just going for a run with somebody. And it can be in the moments of silence when you're out there slaving away. It can be having a bit of banter and a bit of crack when you're running. Uh, but basically, it's that level of togetherness. So the the we talk about solidarity, friendship, and respect. And that's all we're doing, which is showing an element of solidarity, friendship, and respect to folks who are looking to join the Irish community and, join, yeah. jo- and, and joining the local community. So from a very small start about four or five years ago, it's now a very large organization And uh, I'm heavily, uh, I'm really interested in helping it grow uh, and get an international footing. We've got a lot of interest from the Olympics at the Olympic Federation of Ireland, who've been great supporters and Strava have got involved. And it would warm your heart, the the number of great organizations and great people, particularly the, the Irish sporting personalities are the best folks you could ever come across. The most giving a kind, nice people, and they've really supported it. Brilliant. Yes, it's a fantastic initiative. And a question for you, I'm, I'm a big fan of Park Run as well. And you know, one thing I really like about Park Run is, and of course you have plenty of people who try to run their PB every single week and you, know, you get a record, there's the record times for each location, but also uh, Park Run now, well, for a couple of years now, but encouraging people to walk and they're really proud of the fact that their times have, uh, you know, got, wor- got worse, if you like, for want of a better term, over the years, as opposed to improved, because there's more and more people walking. Is it the same idea with is it sanctuary runners, stroke walkers? Absolutely. Oh, like? uh, <laughs> we, we we have such like when we put out when we when we encourage people to come and join us in the park run, we to the exact that exact point, Brian. We emphasize run, walk jog stumble waddle <laughs> you yeah. name it and we make the uh the i suppose the essence of it being just getting together and we also talk pretty heavily about having a cup of coffee together afterwards it's, there's a social aspect to it as well which is incredibly important and all it is 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 we're using running as a means for people to get together what you'll hear back from some people who are in these, let's call them relatively marginalized communities and marginalized groups, 
for some of them, it is the most important interaction of the week for them. It's the, the one time in the week, maybe not the only time, but one of the times in the week where they are fully uh, embraced, fully encouraged, and fully included. And when you see the impact that one moment like that has on an individual, it would melt you and would you'd have, you have no choice but to get involved. It's just, it's great to watch. Brilliant. Yeah, I see that to a certain extent. I was talking to you before we started recording about the park hit, my own social enterprise. And it's, it's almost like the physical activity element of that and promoting the importance of resistance exercise and our very short and simple and easy workouts. That's almost, uh, that's the hook, I suppose. But for some people, it's almost, a li- it can be a little bit of an inconvenience almost before they get to the, you know, the porridge and uh, we, we, some places provide us for a free bottle of porridge as well, but the porridge and the coffee and the social interaction afterwards. So it's the social connection, the physical activity, but your mental well-being as well, getting people outdoors in nature uh, and meeting people in their local community as well. It's, it's really ticking all of those boxes. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, one great one is that uh, the Cork City Marathon in 2021 uh, was held virtually because of the lockdown. 45%, I think, of the people who ran in the Cork City Marathon virtually in 2021 ran for the Sanctuary Runners, right? And that was an incredible statistic, one we were, in, we were so proud of, because we'd actually moved running and working out online a little bit as well. And we had a group getting together every Saturday morning to, to mimic the, the park run time where we would get people to come on and do kind of some exercises and whatever. But it really was just a case of connecting. And I, I made the point earlier on about, you know, the, the Irish sporting personalities being incredibly sound. Uh, we had a whole array of Olympians and, and sporting greats in Ireland who gave of their time and jumped online and did a Zoom call or recorded some exercises. I mean, everybody from, you know, from the, the, uh, the rowers to the runners to Leona Maguire, the golfer to the boxers. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. So, yes, sport has that way of actually bringing people together beautifully. And so you're clearly having a very busy retirement, as you mentioned, and we haven't even got to this, the startups, but how are you looking after your own well-being? Is it, is it the, all these well, the projects, first of all, and then the, the, the running? Is, is that your thing? Yeah, I think the key thing is, you know, keeping, staying active. Uh, so for me, the good things are, you know, that I focused on the, you know, it's all good, good, bad, and indifferent. The, the good stuff is sleep, exercise, and diet. Try to make sure that I've done reasonably well on that. Bad one is devices. I've become more of a teenager in my late 50s and spend more time in the devices. I need to do less of that. And I'm not doing enough deep reading. But from an overall perspective, I think the key thing for me is to maintain interest and contacts. I have no problem whatsoever meeting people for coffee on a regular basis. I find that social interaction and that uh, the being open, kind of open for business at all times has been great. And I try my best to, to keep in touch with people. So I would describe myself as, uh, and pardon the language on it, but I describe myself as a coffee whore. You just tell <laughs> me, you just tell me where and I'll show up for <laughs> coffee. It's not, not a problem, but really it's a case of keeping, uh, keeping those key interests. So like I said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of entrepreneurship and a few things like that. So I love to, to get involved and chat with people in that arena. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, you're certainly 
keeping active, you're, you're going about things the right way. And speaking of that connection, uh, where, where could people go to find out more about yourself and maybe those organizations that you, that you mentioned? Well, you know, I prefer that people see the impact of the work that I do rather than look to find out more about me. Grow Remote and Sanctuary Runners are my passion plays, growremote.ie and sanctuaryrunners.ie, and we can put those in the notes. I use LinkedIn to keep abreast of what's going on in my world, but um, you know, it's very clear from the number of views on LinkedIn that it's a, it's a work tool and not necessarily a social tool. And I can see actually from time to time when I post things that have a little bit less work involved and a little bit more social involved, they don't get the same level of traction. But the interesting thing, and I was sharing this with you and when we were chatting beforehand, is that when I then meet people in person, they tend to talk about the things that they haven't commented on. So I might post something about sanctuary runners and I wouldn't get any interaction, you know, visible interaction. Yet when I meet somebody in person, that's what they want to talk about. So really, I use LinkedIn uh, to keep in touch with people as well that I've that I've worked with in the past. So LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to find me, but uh, judge me on the basis of the organizations that I'm involved in, please. Brilliant, brilliant. Listen, John, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to following your progress and that of Grow Remotes and Sanctuary Runners into the future. Thanks very much, Brian. And that's a wrap for this week. Go to workwellpodcast.com if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode. Quick favor to ask. Can you head over to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review for the Workwell podcast? It would be huge help, so thank you. If you want to dive deeper in the area of workplace health promotion, if you want to educate yourself in this area, then make sure check out the WorkWell Institute. It's our online learning hub. It's a one-stop shop for all your workplace well-being training needs. You'll find all the details at workwellinstitute.org. By the way, the original music that you're hearing right now was composed by my good friend, Greg Clifford. Check him out at gregcliffordmusic.com. Thanks for listening right to the end. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode.